Okay, you on eight. You on eight. Okay, you're clear. Stand by for your base. Welcome to EMS Cast, where we provide high-level education for you, the providers on the streets. I'm Matt Mendez. And I'm Ross Orpit, and we are back for part three of the Physiologically Difficult Airway mini-series. And just as a reminder, we're covering this because traditionally, the anatomically difficult airway has gotten all of the attention. But truthfully, the physiologically difficult airway is arguably way more dangerous and difficult to deal with. The inspiration for this episode is from a review paper published in the Western Journal of Emergency Medicine 2015 titled The Physiologically Difficult Airway. We are covering the four most common scenarios that make the airway physiologically difficult. So far, we've talked about hypoxia and hypotension. Today, we'll be covering severe metabolic acidosis, and then in the future, we'll close it out with right ventricular failure. If you haven't listened to the hypoxia episode and the hypotension episodes, please go do that first. I also cannot stress enough that it takes a few times of reading, listening, and thinking about all of these topics before you can master them and figure out how they all kind of meld together and are intertwined. Yeah, these are complex topics. And and Matt, we're talking today about severe metabolic acidosis. And to be honest, this was one of the hardest parts of, of the paramedic curriculum when I went through. I feel like a lot of my uh, fellow students as well. Is there maybe a, a more simple way to think about this stuff? There is no easy way to think about this stuff, but there are a few tricks that can make it simple. As a dumb guy from New Jersey myself, I had to read through this stuff so many times, but this is kind of how I think about it now. There are really only four total options for the primary problem going on. You can either be metabolic or respiratory, and you can either be acidotic or alkalotic. Whatever the primary problem going on is, the body should have the opposite response in compensation. What we're talking about today is severe metabolic acidosis. So Ross, what would be the opposite of metabolic acidosis? Right. So our options are either metabolic or respiratory. And if our primary problem you're telling me is metabolic, then in this case, we're going to compensate with our respiratory system. And if the primary problem is a metabolic acidosis, then we're going to want to compensate with the respiratory system by making things more alkalotic. So to compensate for a metabolic acidosis, our body is going to drive a respiratory alkalosis. Exactly. But explain to us physiologically how a respiratory alkalosis actually compensates for a metabolic acidosis. Metabolic acidosis means there is something going on in the body that is making the blood acidotic. Most commonly, it's because some tissue in our body is not getting the perfusion of either nutrients or oxygen that it needs. This lack of perfusion leads to an increase in acid, which will be buffered by bicarb to CO2 or carbon dioxide. So to simplify things, we can just essentially think of CO2 as an acid as far as our body is concerned. The faster we breathe, the more CO2 we get rid of. In other words, the more acid that we're going to get rid of and get out of our body. So if the blood is acidic from a metabolic acidosis, the body will breathe fast and deep with a respiratory alkalosis to get as much of that acid and CO2 out of the body as possible. But remember, this is just compensating. It's not getting rid of the root cause of the problem. Everyone listening has probably seen this. 
The A in DKA stands for acidosis, diabetic ketoacidosis. And on her test or test question, you're going to get this. What is the respiratory pattern seen in DKA, Ross? So that's going to be C, Kuzmal respirations. <laughs> so you're going to want to, essentially what you're going to see with Kuzmal respirations is these deep, fast respirations like you just talked about. Exactly. That is the brain's frantic way of trying to compensate for how acidic the blood is in DKA. Right. But can you have more than one primary acidosis or, or say like a mixed acidosis? Yes, technically you can, but honestly, that doesn't change anything in the field. And it also doesn't really change much for me in the first phase of their ED care either. The truth is, if you have someone in front of you who is really sick and breathing really fast, you have to just use the history and physical to figure out if it's probably from a metabolic acidosis or from something else. Okay, so tell us how you do that. This is another one of those things that is simple, but not easy. You have to know the most common causes of metabolic acidosis and how to quickly assess for them so that you can quickly assess for them. You just have to take an hour or a week, or if you're slow like me, take a year and memorize them. This seems like a, a really long list to memorize. It, it is. It can be if, if, if you get into the nitty gritty, but if you break them down into categories, it's not that bad. And, and that's what I do now. So here's how I break them down. Lactic acidosis, that's one category. Renal failure, DKA, and then there are just a bunch of different toxic ingestions. So the key here is to ask or do detective work about an exposure or an ingestion. Okay, so the broad categories that cause a metabolic acidosis are, you're saying, lactic acid, renal failure, DKA, and tox. Exactly. And can Ross, can you name some of the possible causes of a lactic acidosis? So this is probably the most common metabolic acidosis we see, and this occurs when there is a lack of oxygen or nutrients delivered to the tissue. So instead of a aerobic metabolism, which creates a bunch of ATP at the end, our body is forced to use, utilize this anaerobic metabolism, which produces way less ATP and a bunch of lactic acid. So common examples of when this occurs are diseases that lead to poor perfusion of the tissues are, say, sepsis any type of shock, carbon monoxide, and cyanide is another one. Okay, and what about tox stuff that will cause a bad acidosis? So these are going to be ingestions like Tylenol, aspirin, toxic alcohols like methanol and ethylene glycol or, or antifreeze and say even iron are all going to lead to a acidosis within our bloodstream. Yeah, exactly. We could always make the list longer, but the important part is to just try and figure out if they ingested something or were exposed to something at toxic levels. Once you know that, you can just react to what's in front of you. Okay. Explain to me what do you mean by that? What do you mean by just react to what's in front of you? All right. Hear me out. If you have a patient in front of you who has either a lactic acidosis, renal failure, DKA, or a toxicological exposure, and they are breathing on their own at a normal or fast rate, you just don't intubate them. And then if you have someone in front of you with either a lactic acidosis, renal failure, DKA, or a toxicological exposure, and they are breathing slow or not breathing, you intubate them. And then once you're done intubating them, you breathe fast and deep for them to essentially perform the compensation for them. Okay, wait a second. So I get the, if they're, if they're not breathing, obviously I'm going to intubate them. Um, but explain to me this, this person who looks like they're in severe respiratory distress, they're working incredibly hard, they're breathing really deep and fast. Why, why would I not want to intubate that? I totally hear your concern. Re remember that the 
fast, deep breathing in this case is the thing that is keeping them alive. If someone is breathing like that because they are hypoxic, you absolutely want to reverse that. And if intubation is the thing that's needed to reverse that, then you're going to follow all the stuff we talked about in hypoxia. But in this case, the fast, deep breathing is the thing that is compensating and keeping them alive. This is their compensation for the metabolic acidosis. If you stop the compensation by making them apneic while you intubate them, what do you think is going to happen next? Okay, so if they lose their respiratory compensation by being apneic, I guess they're going to become rapidly more acidotic because they can't breathe that acid off and then they're going to die probably either during or right after the intubation. Exactly. No BVM or ventilator is ever going to be able to breathe at a fast and deep enough rate to compensate at the level that the brainstem, the chest wall, and the diaphragm can do all working together with all the different feedback and nerve endings that we have. We only want to take over and breathe for them if they slow down or stop, which is at really easy to recognize. Okay. I really like this kind of more simplified approach. So we, we start just like with everything else in EMS with a really, really good history and physical exam. And if we've identified that likely what's going on is some sort of metabolic acidosis process, then we're going to recognize the patient compensating for that with deep rapid respirations. We're going to realize that we can't breathe as deep or fast as that patient can. And so we're going to try to avoid intubating that patient at all costs. But if we've identified a patient who likely has a very severe metabolic acidosis, who is not appropriately compensating with deep rapid respirations, we should be more concerned about that patient and think about managing their airway earlier. But so what, what if they need to be intubated for, for a different reason? Say, say for example, they're profusely vomiting and they're altered and they're aspirating. Yeah, this brings up a great point. The reasons to intubate someone can be thought of with the ABCs. Intubating someone for respiratory distress is B, right? A breathing problem, so B. What you're talking about with this potential vomiting and altered patient is A, an airway problem. You always fix A before you move on to B, even in these cases. If you have a patient who is not protecting their airway, you got to do what you got to do. Now, with that said, these acidotic patients can be altered, and I tend not to intubate them for even moderate uptendation if they are still breathing fast and deep. My goal is to let them breathe fast, and then I'll try to work on fixing the root cause of the acidosis, which will hopefully fix their mental status pretty quickly. But if they look awful and they're vomiting and, and you got to take the airway, like I said, you got to do what you got to do. You fix A before you fix B. Yeah, I think that's a good point in that you really, really don't want to be overly aggressive here. And and if if they're breathing deep and fast on their own, you're going to want to find every excuse not to intubate that patient because taking over that airway, you're not going to do as a good a good of job compensating for that acidosis that they're experiencing than than their own body can if they actually are breathing deep and fast. So let me let me try to recap here first. You're going to want to learn the broad categories of metabolic acidosis so that you can take a good history and physical exam and, and identify these. And these broad categories are a lactic acidosis, renal failure, DKA, and certain toxicologic exposures. Next, you're going to be a good detective. You're going to take a good history and physical. You're going to figure out if any of these are going on. And you're going to be looking for things like fistulas. You're going to be checking blood sugars. Uh, asking family if they're diabetics, you're going to be assessing for any sort of possible exposures or ingestions. 
And if they are protecting their airway, then you're going to move on to assessing their breathing. If they're breathing normal or they're compensating like they should be with deep, fast respirations, then you're going to want to find every excuse not to intubate that patient. But if they're breathing slow or not at all and circling the drain, then you're going to intubate that patient because they really need to compensate by breathing that acid off. Exactly. Okay. And if I do intubate them and they manage to survive that intubation, because if you have to, if your hand is forced and you have to intubate this person, this is incredibly scary. And there's a high risk that they're going to code while you're tubing them. If they do manage to survive, then what? Well, now you have to breathe for them to compensate for the metabolic acidosis, right? They're not breathing well enough on their own or you paralyze them and they can't breathe on their own. So you need to now perform a compensatory respiratory alkalosis for the patient. Whether you have a BVM or a vent, the concept is the same. Breathe faster than you normally would. If you have a slam dunk metabolic acidosis in front of you, you can breathe at a rate of 30, but you have to make sure they are fully exhaling. The way we get rid of that acidic CO2 is when we exhale. So if you are not fully exhaling, you will speed up their death by increasing the amount of acid that they're retaining. If you are unsure or it's not a slam dunk, then you just stick to the normal ACLS recommendations for ventilating a intubated patient. What about something like like IV sodium bicarb? Would this be helpful in this situation? Uh, well, first and foremost, follow your protocols. But I I think the jury is still out on whether this works or not, is or is worth it. And some would even say the jury is in and it's not worth it. So the the truth is, I, I really just don't do this that often unless I'm using bicarb as an antidote, not as a way to just reverse acidosis. So bicarb is an antidote for things like aspirin overdose, um, lidocaine toxicity, cocaine toxicity, and other toxic processes. So in that case, it's absolutely indicated. But in the case of just doing it like in something like DKA, where you're trying to do it to fix the pH, I don't think that it's it's really something we should be doing in the field or in the emergency department. But what, what do you think, Ross? Yeah, I'm with you. I think the the indications for bicarb are kind of far and few between. You know, the problem with it is is in, in situations that you talked about where it's an antidote for something like aspirin toxicity or or cocaine toxicity or or things like that or or TCA toxicity, then yeah, bicarb's great. But if we're just talking about correcting an acidosis, the problem is is the physiologic equation that goes into that. And so when you give somebody bicarb, that bicarb buffers that acid into CO2. But as we just talked about, you have to breathe off that CO2. And often these patients have already maxed out their respiratory compensation. Compensation. And so if they can't breathe off any more CO2 than they're already breathing off, it just gets converted back into acid. And so I, I think studies have agreed with this. There haven't been many studies that have found benefit to using sodium bicarb in these patients, with the exception of patients who have renal failure and a pH of less than seven. So you're not going to know what their pH is in the field, but if you have somebody that you have a high suspicion for renal failure like or, a they, big fistula. or they have a fistula, then that's someone I might consider that on empirically in the field. Awesome. Great points. I, I, I think the big takeaway here, though, is to avoid intubation as much as you can in these cases. You're just going to, if they're breathing, leave them alone. 
Yeah, exactly. Can I can I just do one more recap for our listeners? Please, I think we need it. Yeah, exactly. So this is a complicated situation. You know, metabolic acidosis or or, or pH imbalances is a difficult thing to think about. But when we think about metabolic imbalances or, or metabolic acidosis causing a respiratory failure, we're really thinking about things like lactic acidosis, renal failure, DKA, and, and toxicologic ingestions. So if your history and physical leads you down any one of these and you have a, a picture in front of you of a patient who's altered, who's got deep rapid respirations, and you've identified this patient is likely experiencing a metabolic acidosis, first and foremost, you're going to want to avoid intubation at all costs if you really can. But if this patient stops compensating, if they stop breathing off that acid like they need to, that's when you're going to want to think about intubating this patient. So a patient who's compensating with deep rapid respirations, avoid it if you can. But a patient who suddenly starts to lose their respiratory drive and starts breathing slower or stops breathing at all, you just have to take the airway. But you have to realize that this is a high risk situation and these these patients may arrest on you as you intubate them. So be prepared for that scenario. When you go to intubate this patient, be prepared for that code that may inevitably follow as you're intubating them. Anything else you would add, Matt? No, that's, that's wonderful. I love that recap. Cool. And so to complete this series, we're going to be moving on to uh, part four of the physiological difficult airway, which is going to be right ventricular heart failure. All right. Look forward to that episode in the future. 